0: Amen. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go with me to the book of Romans, chapter 3. The book of Romans, chapter 3. We are beginning a new series at New Life during the Lenten season. Lent is a time where 40 days in preparation for the resurrection, it's a a time where the church repents, it's a time where the church fasts, it's a time where the church really prepares for Uh, what God does on Good Friday and, uh, in the resurrection. And so, uh, we're gonna be focusing on the cross of Jesus, exploring the cross of Jesus. And over the next, uh, six weeks today and the next five weeks here, we're gonna be looking at the different facets and angles of why did Jesus die on the cross and what was God up to when Jesus died. And so if you ask the average person, why did Jesus die, you're probably going to get a whole range of reasons as to why he died. And so I want to just uh, uh, bring it down to five perspectives. Today, I'm going to talk about the seriousness of sin and the scandal of the cross. And then out of this place here, we're going to be focusing on these five specific themes of the cross. The cross as blood sacrifice, substitutionary atonement in the cross, Christus victor, which is Christ's victory over the powers on the cross, The Great Reversal and Passover and Exodus. And so we're going to be looking at the cross from different angles to really, listen, this is the central symbol. Brandon Manning said the cross is not just the symbol of our faith, it's the pattern for our lives. And this is a central symbol of Christianity, and we want to explore it. We want to go deep into it over the next few weeks. And so today, I'm going to preach about the seriousness of sin, the scandal of the cross. It's going to serve as an introduction to our series. And when you came in, you probably received a little wooden cross that looks just like that there in the back there. If you didn't get one, there's some areas in the back where you can pick them up before you head out. But I wanted us to kind of hold this together as a church during the Lenten season. When you're praying, maybe you could hold it in your hand as you're praying to remind you of what Christ has done for you. Maybe in your office space, on your desk, you can place it there to keep it visible before you before the next 40 days, that we would hold the cross before us, that our eyes would be fixed on Jesus and be reminded consistently of what he's done for us on the cross and what it all means for our lives today. And so you can pick it up before you head out if you didn't receive it. I'm going to look at uh, Romans chapter 3. Uh, and then we're going to unpack a lot of stuff today. I want to give you a heads up. We're unpacking a lot of stuff today. I think God's going to meet us here. But Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 22 to 25, hear the word of the Lord. It says, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. We're going to pray together. And before we do, I want us to be remembering the tragedy in Parkland, Florida. Um, when we talk about the cross, we're talking about the deepest place of human suffering, which allows us to connect with those who are suffering in the world. And 17 people were killed. And there's no probably better topic than to talk about the cross in light of tragedy in our world. And so I want to pray that uh, as people are suffering in that part of our country and all over the country, that we would get a revelation of the cross and what it means for our lives as well. Let me invite you to pray with me. Close your eyes for a moment. Let's have just a moment of stillness and silence as we prepare our hearts for This message and remember those who have passed out in Parkland, Florida. Lord Jesus. The cross is the reminder that you are acquainted with human suffering. Lord, when those suffer around the world, you know exactly how it feels. Lord, we pray for those who are suffering in Parkland, Florida, for families, for relatives, for students. And we pray that your grace would comfort and strengthen during this time and that your Holy Spirit would sweep over our country and our nation and that there would be renewal and revival and healing. And Lord, we pray for ourselves as well, those of us in this room experiencing pain and suffering. May we get a revelation of the cross in such a way that hope comes and healing comes and renewal comes in our own lives. And so we offer ourselves to you. Speak to us, Lord. Open our ears, our eyes, and our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. When we think about Christianity and the spiritual life, there are many analogies that are helpful. Every analogy is imperfect, and yet we need analogies to understand the nature of spirituality. And there's one story that comes into mind that reminds me of the cross of Jesus. Brennan Manning, a great author, talks about a story of an old man who used to meditate uh, by a tree near the Ganges River. And as he was meditating one day, he opens his eyes and he sees a scorpion that was floating helplessly on the water. And as this man watches this scorpion, he reaches out his hand to kind of uh, rescue this drowning scorpion from the water. And as he re- stretches out his hand, the scorpion stings him. The man pulls back his hand in great pain. A few minutes later, he s- extends his hand one more time to try to save this scorpion again. And instinctively, the scorpion stings him again. This time, his fingers started swelling. His face started contorting with pain. The man wanted to extend his hand a third time when a person uh, walking by saw him stretching out his hands and said these words, hey, stupid old man, only a fool would risk his life to save an ugly, evil creature. Don't you know you could kill yourself trying to save that ungrateful scorpion? And the old man looked at the man who was passing by and said these words. He says, just because... It is the scorpion's nature to sting doesn't change my nature to save. Just because it is the scorpion's nature to sting doesn't change my nature to save. When we think about the cross and what Jesus does for us on the cross, just like this story, humanity is the stinging scorpion. And Jesus is the one who consistently stretches out his hands to save us. In the crucifixion of Jesus, we have the central event of Christianity. And when we examine and explore the cross for what it is and what it represented in ancient times, we get a clearer picture of the scandalous and the perplexing nature of God and the perplexing ways of God. In ancient times, the cross wasn't a fashionable symbol like we tend to regard it today. As a matter of fact, the cross was reprehensible. The cross was an instrument of torture. It was reserved for the criminals. It was reserved for the worst offenders in society. It was the Romans' way of saying, if you get out of line, this is what you have coming your way. And so if folks in ancient times integrated the cross in the way that we have integrated it, putting gold chains on and putting gold tattoos on and all that uh, uh, cross tattoos on and all that there, they would regard us as psychotic or strange. If I could give another kind of analogy to wear the cross in ancient times, it would be like wearing the symbol of an electric chair on your neck or wearing a symbol of the noose, a rope that would be used to hang African-Americans in the south. It It just comes across crazy, a bit psychotic. And yet the Apostle Paul in ancient times, knowing the scandal of what this symbol represented, would say, may I never boast in anything except the cross. Imagine us saying today, may I never boast in anything except the electric chair. May I never boast in anything except the the noose and the lynching tree. Paul has the audacity in a very perplexing way to say, may I never boast in anything except the cross of Jesus. And Paul says that because although the world couldn't see it when Jesus was being crucified, God was at work. Although the world only saw a bloody mangled body of a Jewish religious teacher, Paul sees the Son of God reconciling the world to God. May I never boast except in anything but the cross. And so in Romans 3, Paul talks about the cross, but in order to situate the cross appropriately, Paul talks about sin. And it's important that whenever we talk about the cross, we have to talk about sin as well. And so Paul, in verse 23, in one of the more familiar passages of Scripture, says, all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And unless you understand this passage, you really don't understand why the cross was necessary. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I want to spend some time talking about sin this morning. It's not a topic that we get excited to hear about. We don't wake up in the morning and say, Oh, we're talking about sin today. This is fantastic. Sin is not something that we like to discuss. It's not a, not a popular word in our day. Sin is not used in public discourse. You're not going to hear the word sin in the media to describe the catastrophes that happen in the world. You're not going to talk about it in your workplace. You don't go to your boss and say, How's your sin doing? Hard time sinning this week. We don't talk about sin in public discourse. When you look at the horrific shooting in Parkland, Florida, the word sin has never come up in the conversation. What often happens in our public discourse is the word sin is often replaced with other words. Words like disease or words like maladjustment or words like deficiency. And it's not that these words are unimportant. It's not that these words are not accurate. They often are accurate to describe the kind of trauma and tragedy that happens in our world. But underneath all of these layers is sin. And so I want to talk about sin and what God has done about it. Now, when you have a conversation on sin, there are typically three kinds of people. Three kinds of people and their responses to sin. The first person is the kind of person who is crushed at the thought of sin. You recognize your sin. You see the the mistakes of your life. And maybe you're covered with shame. Maybe you're covered with condemnation. Maybe you're covered with a sense of guilt. But this kind of person is crushed by the thought of sin. The second kind of person that comes to mind is the person who is happy at the thought of sin. Particularly when the sin of other people is called out. As a pastor, I've had many people come up to me over my 10 years at New Life and say, Pastor, we need to hear more about sin. And when someone says that, they usually mean somebody else's sin, the sin that I don't like in other people. Can I hear more about that? And so the first person is crushed by their sin. The second person is giddy about sin, but giddy to talk about the other people's sin. The third kind of person is someone who uh, doesn't care much about sin. The person has no reference to God. This person is living however this person wants, with no regard for the righteousness of God. And so whether you are in that first category, whether you are in the second category, whether you are in the third category, this message is for you. Now, sin is a theological term because ultimately it's mentioned in reference to God. That surely we sin against each other, but the first victim is always God. Certainly we sin against each other, but the first victim is always God. And so when Paul talks about sin throughout the scriptures, he says we've sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. And when Paul talks about sin, he's helping us to see sin in a multi- uh, the multitude of perspectives. And there's two that I want to offer. To talk about sin means we have to see it in at least two different ways. We have to see sin as something people do, as well as sin as the power people are under. And we have to hold on to both of these realities. And until we hold on to both of these realities, we're not going to know the depth of the cross and the crucifixion and what Jesus has done for us. We have to see sin as something people do and sin as a power people are under. And all of these realities must be dealt with. Paul says, we are all in the same boat here. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And this is a very important verse for those of us who want to blame somebody else for the problems of the world. We are all in trouble, Paul says. We are all complicit, Paul says. We are all responsible. This includes Democrats and Republicans, wealthy people and the poor, highly educated and illiterate, those who are religious and those who are atheists, those who have criminal records and those who have never stepped foot in prison, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, when Paul says fall short, it's important that we understand what Paul's saying there as well. In the Greek language, the word fall short is not just, oh, just missed it. Like I I, I almost had it, but I just fell short by a little bit. The word fall short there really is the word is void of. We have sinned and we are empty of, void of, totally missing. The glory of God. It's not just that we were good people and we did some good things and we just missed it by God's standard by a little bit. That's how people think about God for the most part. I'm a good person. I do good things. I go to church. I help people. I'm okay with God. I just miss it by a little bit. Sure, I could pray a little bit more. Sure, I could read the Bible a little bit more. Sure, I could volunteer a little bit more. But in our eyes, we just miss it. And we use language like fall short, like just, but Paul says, uh uh-uh, you got it wrong. We've all sinned, and we just didn't fall short. We are empty of the glory of God, void of the glory of God. We have totally missed the glory of God. And so it's not like we almost made it, and God just, just gives us a little boost. My son, when I, when I take Nathan to the playground, he goes on the ladder, and he just can't get to that. He did all the work, and he just wants to get to the top. He goes, help me, Then I just go, uh, hit him right in the tush. Uh, get up there, boy. And, and and he goes up there, thank you. We think that's what God is like, that we did all the work we can do, and God just gives us a little boost to get up there. Paul, that's not what God, Paul is saying. Paul is saying, we just didn't miss it, we are missing it. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so when Paul talks about sin, it's important that we make another kind of distinction here and get clarity on that word, because it's important that we see sin in two ways, not just as a power that we are under or something that we do. We also need to see sin from two different perspectives. We have to distinguish sin from sins. And it's important theologically that we make this difference and distinction of sin, singular, and sins, plural. In the scriptures, whenever you see sins, In the plural, it's the things that we do, the behaviors that we do. But sin in the singular is about the power that is at work in us. And so sin is essentially in the singular, the principle at work in us that says, my kingdom come, my will be done. That's sin. It's it's a self-referential way of living. Everything is about me. It was St. Augustine who said that at the core, sin is to be curved in on oneself. You're looking this way here. You're bent over and looking this way. To be curved in on oneself. That's sin, singular. And then you have sins, plural. All the crazy stuff that we see in the world. Now, it's important to note that oftentimes Christians and church people in the world, we focus on sins, but not on sin. But if you only focus on sins without focusing on sin, you only deal with the symptoms and not the root. And so you can go to the doctor and they can give you uh, uh, medication to lower the symptom of the problem, to lower a fever, but not get, not get to the true issue of what's causing the fever. And so when we only deal with sins, what it does is it does a couple of things. Namely, it helps us judge others better because my manifestation of sin is not as bad as your manifestation of sin. And so when I look at other people and the stuff that they're doing, I don't feel too bad about myself. I'm pretty good. Did you see what happened in the news? I'm a pretty good guy here. And so when we deal with just sins in the plural without dealing with sin in the singular, we deal with the symptom and not the root. And Paul says, we got to deal with both of it. It's not just the sins, but it's also the sin. At its core, sin, that principle inside of us is about alienation. It's about separation from God, separation from each other, separation from ourselves, separation from creation. And so sin in the singular is ultimately about cutting off. We're cut off from God. We're cut off from each other. We're cut off from ourselves. We are cut off from creation. And so God doesn't just care about sins. He wants to deal with our sin. Sin is the thing in the world, not just personally. we, We see sin manifested in the systems of the world, political systems, economic systems, educational systems. Sin is not just a personal thing. Sin is an interpersonal thing. Sin is an institutional thing. Sin is a cosmic thing that cuts us off from each other. And so sin is is more than just the absence of bad. Because you can have the absence of bad doing bad things and still be caught in sin. When you look at the religious leaders of Jesus' day, Jesus would come against the religious leaders consistently. And these are people who are really moral people. These are people who are really upstanding people. These are people who really did great things. And yet Jesus says, you're you're, you're like a tomb of dead men's bones. Because they could only think in terms of sins and not deal with sin. And sin is more than just the absence of that. Now, growing up in in high school, I used to uh, go to the library from time to time and read the the, the newspaper just for the sports and for the comics. That's all I wanted to do in high school, the sports section and the comic section. I used to read this comic called uh, Calvin and Hobbes. And many of you know about Calvin and Hobbes, a little boy and his uh, tiger friend that he's having all these wonderful deep conversations about life with. And there's one conversation that Calvin and Hobbes are having a conversation about talking about sin. And this is how the conversation goes. Calvin, the little boy, says, I'm getting nervous about Christmas. And Hobbes the tiger says, you're worried you haven't been good? Calvin says, that's just the question. It's all relative. What's Santa's definition? How good do you have to be to qualify as good? I haven't killed anybody. That's good, right? I haven't committed any felonies. I didn't start any wars. Wouldn't you say that's pretty good? Wouldn't you say I should get lots of presents? And then Hobbes the tiger says... Maybe good is more than the absence of bad. And Calvin says, see, that's what worries me. (laughs) That you could have the absence of bad and still be deeply in sin. You could be shackled by sin. And so Christianity is, is not a moralism. Where Christianity says, if you do good enough, God will like you and love you. If you do bad, God will judge you and hate you. That's a moralism. In other words, you could do all the good in the world and still be captured and caught in sin. And so the power at sin is at work in our lives, brothers and sisters, The power of sin is at work in our world. Whenever you see racism, there's sin. Whenever you see classism, there is sin. Whenever you see violence, there is sin. Whenever you see judgmentalism, there is sin. It is a separation, a cutting off from one another and a cutting off from God. And we are all infected by it. All of humanity has been infected by it. The Bible is one long story of, of the mess the world is in because of sin. This is why I, I love, I'm in a cartoon mode this week. This is why I love Homer Simpson's, his definition of the Bible, his summary of the Bible. I saw this past week. Homer says these words. He says, all these people are a mess except this one guy. That, that's Homer's on the Bible. That one person would be Jesus. All these people are, that's his understanding of the Bible. All these people are a mess except this one guy that we're all complicit, that we're all messed up, that we've all contributed in one way or another to the mess that the world is in. And so Lent is an opportunity for us to look honestly at ourselves, to name not just the sins that we do, but to confess the dominion that we find ourselves under from time to time. And it is in that spirit that we are to understand the crucifixion because the story of the Bible is one of humanity's consistent refusal to live in the love of God and it's God's refusal to let humanity stay in its chains. God deals with sin. Now, if I ended my sermon here, it'd be kind of depressing be like, oh man, we're all sinners, we all messed up, we're all caught, we are all do bad stuff. And I would say, all right, go, go in peace, everyone. Have a great week there. It'd just be awful. But aren't you glad that Paul's verse doesn't end with all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? If there was a period there and it ended there, we would have room for despair. We would have reason for hopelessness. But Paul doesn't end by saying all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Paul correctly situates sin in light of the cross. And right after Paul says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, it's almost as if Paul rushes to the next point and all are justified freely. By his grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Paul says, we've all have sinned. He doesn't stop it. He says, but God has done something about it. We've all messed up, but God didn't leave us there. We've all sinned, but God decided to do something. And here's a good theological lesson. Whenever Christians, whenever we talk about sin we must immediately say that sin has been overcome in Christ. That's just a good theological, biblical principle. Whenever we talk about sin, we must immediately announce to the world and announce to ourselves that Christ has already overcome it on the cross. This is why Karl Barth, the great uh, uh, Swiss theologian, says, the reality of sin cannot be known or described except in relation to the one who has vanquished it. In other words, no matter how much the power of sin is at work, something has already happened to conquer it. And when we attach our lives to Jesus, we are forgiven of our sins. When we attach our lives to Jesus, the power of sin is released from our lives. We are offered a new way of being. And the way that sin was dealt with was on the cross. And so we're going to talk about, over the next five weeks, talk about what was Christ doing? What was God doing when, when Jesus was crucified? And how do we understand the multidimensional aspects of the crucifixion of Jesus? That it's more than just, oh, you can go to heaven now. God was doing something profoundly deep on the cross. We're going to explore that. But what I want to explore for the rest of our time here is why was he crucified? It's not enough to say, ask the question, why did Jesus die? We have to ask the question, why was he crucified? It is the cross that is a symbol of our salvation and the pattern for our lives. Why was Jesus crucified? And when we look at the crucifixion of Jesus, I want to offer just some thoughts here for our reflection, our thoughts for our prayer, our thoughts for our worship unto God. The crucifixion of Jesus, it is the place where the power of sin is defeated and the place where Christ forgives us. But why on a cross? He could have died. Maybe he could have died in a different way. Why on a cross? This is the fundamental question we need to ask as followers of Jesus. Not just that Jesus died, but why was he crucified? Let me offer just one way forward, and I'll unpack this thought here. That on the cross, God was demonstrating the horrifying depth of sin and his even deeper love. Why a cross? Couldn't Jesus have died in a way like Dr. King was assassinated? Would that have done it? Jesus could have been hung by a rope like Dietrich Bonhoeffer was. Jesus could have been arrested and killed in private like many in World War II were, in firing squads. He could have been beheaded like John the Baptist was. It's not enough to say that Jesus died for our sins. We must also address how he died. Because how he died articulates something of the love of God like nothing else does. Was it enough for Jesus to have just bled and died? The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Or was the cross necessary to articulate something of God's love that could not be articulated any other way? When you look at the cross for what it is, we see God's love for what it is as well. The cross was reserved for the lowest of the low. Roman citizens were never crucified. The cross was the place of deepest shame and degradation and humiliation. When you look at artwork of Jesus being crucified, when you look at artists like Rembrandt, you see that Jesus is often clothed, the lower part of him clothed. And most of the crucifixion images have Jesus something along the lines like that. And this doesn't do justice to him being crucified because when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified naked in front of his mother, in front of his friends. This is degradation. This is humiliation. This is rejection. This is shame. They mock him, put a crown of thorns on him. They beat him. They humiliate him. In public, this is deliberate. Why the cross? It was Fleming Rutledge, the great theologian, who said, no other mode of execution, especially in that time, better exposes the depth of humanity's condition under sin. And in the crucifixion, Jesus, the sinless, innocent one, that's what makes it worse out of anything. The sinless innocent one, would experience the very worst of humanity. Not just in the physical pain of it. If you notice the New Testament, the New Testament doesn't talk about Jesus' physical pain. They never say what Jesus physically felt. What you see in the New Testament is Jesus experiencing social pain, psychological pain, spiritual pain. The cross is the, expresses the horrifying depth of sin of humanity. And yet Jesus would experience the very worst of humanity, not so then humanity can be judged as severely, but so that humanity can be forgiven from the deepest place possible. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, hit me with your best shot, and I will still forgive you, and I will still pour out my love for you. And I will still demonstrate grace and mercy to you. The cross is the place where this is the lowest of the low for humanity. And yet in the cross, we see that Jesus' love goes even deeper than that. Where he says, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. And so the crucifixion of Jesus, more than any other event, shows us exactly what God is like. Now, this past week, we were once again confronted with the power of sin, once again confronted with the power of evil. A young man kills 17 people at a school in Florida, and I've been following the developments very closely, hearing about the courage, hearing about the stories, hearing about the heroes. And there's one hero that comes to mind, a man by the name of Aaron Face, a football coach who was killed. And witnesses say that the death toll would have been much higher had it not been him shielding students. And when the gunfire broke out, he draped himself over students, acting as a human shield. And one student said that he shielded two kids from being shot and that he took the bullets himself. And this man is a great hero a courageous man, a man who selflessly sacrifices for people he cared deeply for. It's an act of staggering act of love. And when we consider acts like this hero, Aaron face, it makes the crucifixion even that much more unbelievable. Because Jesus would not just die for those who were his friends. Jesus would die for his enemies. Jesus would die for those who are crucifying him. Jesus would take their place too. This is why Paul says in the message translation, he says, we can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for, and we can understand how someone good and noble can inspire us, to selfless sacrifice. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatever to him. Now that we are set right with God by means of this sacrificial death, the consummate blood sacrifice, there is no longer a question of being at odds with God in any, uh, any way. Uh, the, the regular version says it this way, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that, that Christ said, get your act together, become righteous, and then I'll die for you? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so when we look at what Jesus has done, when we look at Romans 3, that we're all caught in sin, we're all caught in one way or another, we all do it, and it's a power that we are under. And yet Jesus comes to us in the cross, forgives us of our sin, experiences the deepest degradation and humiliation, and still offers forgiveness. What, we, what do we take from this? Minimally, a few things. I want you to remember, as we think about the cross and the crucifixion, that God's grace is always greater than your sin. That God's grace is always greater than your sin. That no matter what you might be caught in today, the crucifixion reminds us that God's grace is always greater than your sin. The crucifixion reminds us that, that in addition to that, that the power you need to overcome sin comes from outside of you. That you can try with all your might, all the willpower, all the discipline in the world, and yet you're still not going to get anywhere because the solution to your problem is not found within you. The solution to your problem is found outside of you. It's something that God has done for you. And we live in a world that believes in this, this myth of progress, that because we're, we're, we're advancing technologically, we're advancing psychologically, we're advancing philosophically, that we think we're getting a little bit better. No, that, that's a myth of progress, because the same technological advances that help us to cure disease is the same technological advances that, that have us bomb other people. We're still in the problem. We're still in the hole. We're still in the pit. There's no progress that helps us from our sin problem. The only uh, progress that we can trust in is when Jesus Christ has done for us. That's the only solution to our sin. That it comes outside of us. And so God's grace is greater than your sin. You need a power outside of you to deal with your sin. And we are reminded over and over on the cross that God wants relationship with you. He he cannot get enough of you. And he consistently comes after, after, after you. Not to judge you, but to pour out grace on you. And if I can bring this thing to a close, listen, we are the scorpion. Who stings? We are the scorpion who stinks others. We are the scorpion who stinks God. And yet time and time again, God relentlessly stretches out his hand to rescue a scorpion. That consistently stings him. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The grace of God. The mercy of God. The compassion of God. He could have just taken his arm and said, later for you, you drown, you scorpion. And yet he extends his hand to us. God is the one who stretches out on our behalf. It is our nature. Listen, it is our nature to sting. It is God's nature to save. And God can't help but save. God knows no other language but salvation. And he consistently extends his hands to us. God's grace is greater than your sin. The power of sin is only overcome outside of yourself. And God wants relationship with you. And will keep stretching out his hands. He's already done it once. And every single day he stretches out his hands. Longing to rescue us. Longing to set us free. Longing to forgive us. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And yet God continues to pour out grace and mercy and salvation because of the cross. Let's pray together. I wonder today what power you are under. Are you under the power of Jesus and his kingdom? Or are you under the dominion of sin? Paul says, surely we'll keep sinning and we need God's forgiveness, but yet a power can be broken over us in the name of Jesus. And maybe today, you need a power broken over you. For those of you who have never said yes to Jesus, have never followed Jesus, you cannot help but be under the dominion of sin. You can't help it. There's nothing you can do to deal with this, this problem. You need a a source outside of yourself. And maybe you're watching online, maybe you're in this room today and you realize you find yourself in the same place over and over again. Or maybe you're caught in sin. You said yes to Jesus, but you're caught. You need God's power afresh. You need his forgiveness in your life. Wherever you are, Jesus wants to meet you today. And he wants you to align your life with his so that you would experience his freedom. So we're going to sing together about how we ended this worship set. It is the blood of Jesus that rescues us. It is the blood of Jesus that sets us free. It is the blood of Jesus that reaches us wherever we're at. And it's only when we say yes to him that our lives can truly experience freedom. And so, Lord Jesus, give us a deeper revelation of your cross. May we see with fresh eyes the extent you went to rescue and redeem us. And may we respond with gratitude and with love. And may we stretch out our lives towards others as well sing to you now in Jesus name we pray and everyone said prayer team come to my right have those offering the bread and the cup as well when we take communion we are reminded that Jesus Christ the extent of his love for us broken and poured out and when we take the bread and we dip it in the cup we do it with a sense of gratitude as well with a desire to say Lord may this cross shape our lives cross is not just a symbol of our salvation it's the pattern for our lives and so lord may may i live in a more cross-centered kind of a way pouring out love for the world as well listen if you came into this room today in a room this large people watching online some of you you are caught under the dominion of sin and you've tried in your own strength to get free but you've never invited Jesus Christ to set you free it's impossible for you to free yourself you need need freedom to come from the outside and maybe today you find yourself caught in sin and shame and guilt a cycle that just keeps repeating itself year after year and you realize something needs to break I'll tell you what's going to break it it's the cross of Jesus and it's faith in that cross and what he's done for us. And so if you came in here today, maybe you're not even a follower of Jesus and you recognize today, you sent something calling you, something saying, yep, this is what you need. Some 20 years ago, I made a decision to follow Christ. I recognize I'm in a hole. I can't get out of this hole by myself. I need a power outside of myself to break something off of me. And I said yes to Jesus some 20 years ago. Some of you today, today's your day. Maybe you've come to church, but you've never allowed Jesus to break the chains. And people come to church all the time and still have not said yes to Jesus. I invite you to close your eyes for a moment. If if you're at a place today where you want, you just know chains need to be broken. You need to say yes to Jesus. He's calling you by his love. You deeply sense that inside. If you just raise your hand right where you're at, our prayer team is on the side here. But if you're saying, I need forgiveness, I need grace, I need a power outside of myself to break something off of me. And if you sense that's you, at the end of our service, our prayer team's gonna be right to my right and we will love to pray for you, for those of you who wanna come to Christ and say yes to the cross. And then there's a group of you in this room, that you say said yes to Jesus but you are just caught caught in shame caught in guilt you need forgiveness you need God's grace in your life you've tried to pay for your own sins that doesn't work Jesus has already paid for them and so if you're at a place right now where you are stuck and you realize I need grace I need forgiveness I need a new way forward our prayer team would love to pray for you as well our Lord's table is here. Our prayer team is here. Let me invite you as we close to open your hands towards heaven just to receive a blessing. If you're new to our church, we end every gathering like this because this is a sign of receiving blessing. And it is only out of receiving blessing that we can bless others. We cannot give what we have not received. And so if Jesus is working on you today, don't rush out of here. Come up for prayer. Come to the Lord's table. And let's keep the cross before us during this Lenten season. That he may deepen us and shape us into the people he longs for us to be. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. May you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit. Bearing witness to the truth that Jesus Christ has died and he is alive. And he's taken our sin and he's broken the power of sin. And that those of us who would say yes to him would live the kind of abundant life that he's promised. So I bless you all today in the strong and the beautiful. In the crucified name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.